Thank you so much for checking out the audio version of my channel, Ruslan KD, can you stream out loud on all platforms? If you, yes, you find this valuable, the best way you can reach me, the best way you can give me feedback, the best way you can even hop into a group Zoom call with me is through our King's Dream Patreon community. So consider partnering with us there. The link is in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for all the love and support. Now enjoy. Bruce Lawn. Is the Bible provocative? Should Christians be provocative? Or is it cringe when Christians become provocative? This video is titled, Why Church Neuters Christians. And it's probably going to upset you, but I promise you, if you stay with me till the very end of this video, you will appreciate it. I will glue it all together with a beautiful passage that will empower you to walk in this idea. This is the follow-up video to the video I made yesterday with a panel on Chandler Moore from Maverick City Music about him posting some photos from his wedding, one of which people deemed immature or inappropriate. Now, it's fun conversations to have, but I want to give you guys some more nuts and bolts scripturally on how to navigate these types of conversations. And it was also inspired by my brother Isaiah Saldivar, who was just on a channel, and he told me something really interesting that stuck with me. He said, when he got saved, he jumped right into ministry, he said, because he didn't have the church for religious people to neuter him. Okay. And I said, wow, what a great (laughs) word image. And if you think about what neutering an animal does, if you think about having, I don't know how many of you guys have had male dogs, but at some point they get very horny and just start running around and humping everything. They'll hump the side of your legs. They'll hump a pillow. They'll hump cats. They'll just, they just hump everything. And there's a practical implication to neutering a male dog just so that if you don't want them to reproduce, you don't want to have puppies. Goodness gracious, that is very annoying, right? If they just run around and and just, just going ham on everything. And so that is where the word picture took me. But then I thought, how unhelpful is it when the church Christian religious people neuter young Christians, gifted Christians, passionate Christians from operating, whether in their gifting or their liberty. And that's where the image came for me. And so I want to go over a ton of passages with you guys, because I think everyone online, a lot of times is trying to project their sensibilities on other people without really processing what it is that the implications of that could be on someone. And so this isn't to justify anybody's behavior. I'm going to keep it a buck all the way down. And we're going to talk about sin on this video. Watch till the end of this video because we're going to get to sin and all that kind of stuff. But let's just jump right in. Okay, so provocative versus cringe. When Christians get too provocative, it can be cringy. We're going to get there. But first, let's just ask a couple basic questions. Is the Bible provocative? Is the Bible provocative? And if it is provocative, is there a time and a place for Christians to be provocative, for followers of Jesus to be provocative? Now, maybe you come from a faith where you envision Jesus and you envision Christians more like Ned Flanders than you do a warrior and a lion. Maybe that's your presupposition for how you envision Jesus. Is someone that has their shirt tucked in, someone that never says or does anything offensive, someone that never upsets the church mothers, someone that never says anything to anyone that could cause controversy. But 
I think when we open up the scriptures, we do see some pretty interesting things going on and some, dare I say, provocative language even being used. So let's look at this passage from 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 25. I know we're going to cover a lot of passage with me. Just, just bear with me. Okay. So check this out. This is Elijah and he's speaking to the prophets of Baal. Now these folks were following a false God. They were having worshiping, doing things that were false. And Elijah is one of the last prophets left in this land. And so he basically has a showdown with them regarding uh, their gods and if their gods are real. But the, but the language and the implication that he has is very interesting. Check out where he goes. He says, Then Elijah says to the prophets of Bilal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, uh, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal of morning until noon, from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah, what did Elijah do? Mocked them. Interesting. Elijah mocked them. Cry aloud, for he is a God, lowercase d. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. (laughs) And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the obligation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. So Elijah goes down this, this confrontational moment with these false prophets, okay? And Elijah says something that would be wildly deemed inappropriate by the Christian cancel culture of our day. Elijah mocks them Okay, and he says he's musing or he is relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be waking. What is he? What, what, what's happening? He's trash talking, but 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 or relieving himself or relieving himself. Is this friends, followers of Jesus? Is this <laughs> the, the first poop joke that we see documented? Okay, he's basically saying, hey, man, your God, he's not showing up. Maybe he's on a toilet taking a poop. Who knows where he is? Now, this type of language by some folks would be just completely and utterly deemed inappropriate. How dare Elijah say something like that today? Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. He said, he's a feelings. Oh my gosh. That's the energy some of y'all be on. You just freak out over every little thing, and then you think someone who is doing something that is sometimes demonstrated in scripture has now crossed the line. And if it's funny or if, if, if there's a joke that you find inappropriate, that that has now crossed the line of sinful. And I, uh, and I assure you that if we examine the scriptures, if you go to the scriptures and you become biblically literate, that the scriptures are provocative, not just in a descriptive sense, Not just in a sense of, yeah, bad stuff happened in the scriptures. No, I'm talking about stuff that happened in the scriptures that seems provocative and seems controversial that God seems to be behind. God was with Elijah here. Here's some more provocative passages. Here's some more provocative passages, okay? Galatians chapter 5, we're going to cover verse 7 through 12. This is Paul writing the church 
in Galatia who is slipping into legalism. These brothers were Gentile Christians and some Jewish legalistic Christians got in the mix and started making some of these folks get circumcised as grown men. So Paul says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Okay, so you were doing good. You were following Jesus. And then he says, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and what? Emasculate themselves. Friends, this is very inappropriate. This is very provocative. This is very controversial. Paul is saying, hey, man, those folks that are pulling up on you and telling you that you need to get circumcised as a grown man, as a grown man, and you're a Gentile Christian, I wish that they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. What does emasculating yourself mean? What is he saying there? What does that word mean? It means to chop your wee-wee off. That is what he's saying. Just chop your junk off. If you're going to tell people that they need to be circumcised, they need to submit to the Jewish law of circumcision after they've been saved as Gentiles, okay, you need to just go ahead and just just, just do yourself in. Chop your wee-wee off. Okay, very provocative language. Very risque. The Bible provocative. Yes. So what's my next point? If the Bible is provocative, let us not condemn what Scripture affirms. If the Bible is provocative, let us not condemn what Scripture affirms. Acts chapter 10. This is Acts chapter 10. And this is Peter now living out the other side of this in in regards to these Jewish laws and this legalism that some folks were facing under. This is years and years after Jesus ascended to heaven, by the way. So at Caesarea, there was a man, this is Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion um, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, first of all, you got to pause and just acknowledge that something that's happening in this passage. This was a centurion that was a God-fearing man and gave gener- generously. This was not a Jewish person. Okay, this is important. This is important. So the, the entire premise of the way that this is set up is that this is somebody that, that, that is not a part of the house of Israel, okay? Now, check this out. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a, uh, a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Okay, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Side note, notice that Cornelius is wealthy enough to have multiple servants and multiple soldiers. Yet it also says he's wildly generous to the poor and that he prays and he's a devout man for God. So that may uh, blow up some of your guys' theology that think all rich people are evil. Because according to this, it's not. Now let's just keep going. Verse 9. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He He saw heaven opened up like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. So Peter's, Peter, 
Peter, the one that Jesus said, I'm going to build this rock on Peter. This is Peter. He says the, the, the heavens opened up. He's having this trance. In verse 12, it says it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now check this out. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Christian, do not call anything impure that God has called clean. Now check this out. This happened three times, three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. <laughs> what? Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent uh, by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. This happened three times, dog. And then he sat there and tried to figure out what the meaning of the vision was. Is a Jewish Christian. This is years and years and years after Jesus is into heaven. He has this vision. God shows up. He shows up. He said, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. How many times in our lives as followers of Jesus do we call things unclean, impure that God has made clean? Whether that's food that we're confused about, whether that's music genres that we're confused about, whether that's instruments that we're confused about, whether that's whatever, fill in the blank that we're confused about. Why, why do we do this? Peter was so in, in the midst of his own legalism, in the midst of his own customs, in the midst of his own traditions, in the midst of his own presuppositions that he was calling something unclean that God called clean and God had to correct him three times about it, three times. So when we see something that God has called good, okay, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say, and maybe it's against my bias for alcohol. I don't like alcohol. My mother, my mother is an alcoholic, okay? So I don't like alcohol. But for me to call something unclean that God has called clean, repeatedly in scripture, we see Jesus's first miracle at a wedding, turning water into wine. We see Paul writing Timothy, telling him to take some wine for his stomach. So whatever my predisposition is to alcohol, I am not to call it unclean because I personally have issue with it or my family has issue with it or my culture has issue with it. Are you guys following along? Does, does apply this for food, apply this for anything else. So when it comes to the context of sex, Okay, sex in a covenantal God marriage. When we think about sex, our brains default to one of two extremes. It's either God or it's gross. That's where we go. It's either an idol and, 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 and you are addicted and you are just struggling and, and it's just like you can't stop thinking about it and it's, it's, it's an idol. You've made it a God, lowercase g for you. Or, or maybe you've been delivered from that addiction. Maybe you've been, maybe, maybe you've been uh, freed from that and now you've made it gross and it's disgusting. And how could anybody talk about gross? And how could, how could anybody talk about sex? How could anybody say that they're having sex? How could anybody write a book about sex? How could anybody talk about positions in sex? How could anybody give, uh, you know, uh, uh, specific advice about how Christians can thrive in their sex life? But has God affirmed it? Has God called it good? Yes. Yes, he has. Okay, again, there's an entire book in the Bible celebrating it. There's an entire book in the Bible talking about it. There's talking a book, right? So we see things all the time. And because a lot of times non-Christians, because the world has taken the blessing of God, okay? And they've perverted it. They've made their own perversion of it, okay? They've made it bad. 
They've, the world has taken alcohol and made it bad. The world has taken sex and made it bad. The world has taken food and made it bad. Okay, and because the world has perverted it, we can't disconnect from it and say, well, wait a minute. What did God initially intend for this? And has my mind been restored and redeemed to look at it from the lens of a biblically literate follower of Jesus? Fill in the blank with whatever you want there, whether that's humor, whether that's sarcasm, whether that's sex, whether that's alcohol, whether that's food, music. Are we looking at it through a redeemed lens and saying, has God called this good? And am I projecting my own, my, my own mess on it? Okay. Okay. And so, and by the way, again, stay with me because we're going to, we're going to bring this full circle in terms of what are the parameters on this? Okay. We're going to bring this full circles on what are the parameters? Because people hear this, people hear this. And because your brain is binary, you go to the extreme. Well, so what are you saying, Ruslan? Are you saying that porn is good? Are you saying Christian couples can just do whatever they want? Are you saying blah? Are you saying now we can just get drunk? Is that what we're saying? Blah. How dare you? Right? You go, you go to that extreme. I'm not talking about extremes. I'm not talking about the opposite of, of this, which is lawlessness, which is do what thou wilt. That's not what I'm talking about. We're going to get there. Okay? We're going to get there. Just bear with me. I'm saying, if God has declared something good, do not... Go the extra mile and declare it not good. Now, we could have healthy conversations about is something wise or not wise to do? Is something mature or not mature? All of that is free game. But as a general rule, if God's called something good, don't call it bad. Don't, don't, don't do that, okay? So, is the Bible provocative? Yes. Let us not condemn what Scripture affirms, okay? Now, if Scripture is infrequently provocative, let us be the same. If Scripture is infrequently provocative, let us also be infrequent with when we are provocative. Scripture doesn't always use the kind of language that Paul used about emasculating themselves. Scripture doesn't commonly use stuff like, oh, I don't know, Elijah telling them that your God's on a toilet and cracks a poop joke, right? It's actually infrequent when we see this. It's infrequent when we see this. So if, if we look at scripture and we see something, oh, this, is, this isn't that frequent, right? This isn't, this isn't that common. Our predisposition should match that. Because by the way, scripture is the final authority. Scripture is the inspired word of God. So if we see something in scripture like, uh, I don't know, sarcasm or mock, mockery, mocking religious people, right? There's a time and a place for that. But it's infrequent. So therefore, we should be infrequent with how we operate in that. If scripture is talking about consuming alcohol, guess what? It's infrequent. Therefore, we should be infrequent with how we consume alcohol. It should not become an idol. It should not become a God. It should not become something that is a part of our identity. Well, I'm the guy that just crafts my own brew and we just get our own beers and me and the buddies just have beers five nights a week and we just drink beers all the time. Don't be that guy. Why? Because we see it used infrequently in scripture. Okay, it's it's not something that was happening all the time. They weren't just drinking all the time and they definitely weren't drinking to get drunk. Okay, they definitely weren't drinking to get drunk. So in that same passage in Galatians, Paul says, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So with that, we are to not use our freedom to sin. 
don't use your freedom to sin. Just because you can't have a drink doesn't mean you're allowed to be drunk uh, in public or in your own home. Just because you can't have a drink doesn't mean you're allowed to be drunk. Okay? Just because you can splurge, have some food, or go out and buy some nice stuff, that doesn't mean you're allowed to just mismanage your money and overconsume on a regular. Don't use your freedom to sin. Pretty straightforward, right? This is the one that everybody should be like, yes and amen. Yes and amen. So, to be clear, to be clear, if we're looking at the New Testament, there is freedom in Jesus. If you're looking at the New Testament, I see men and women walking with freedom and not walking on eggshells to uh, uh, potentially offend religious people who are projecting their worldly, unredeemed version of whatever it is we're talking about. Okay? There is freedom. However... We are not called to use that freedom to sin. Okay? Why? Because verse 14 says this. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are boundaries. There are parameters. But let's not project someone's maybe lack of maturity. Let's not project someone's maybe lack of class. Let's not project someone's, I don't know, fill in a blank. And make that equivalent to sin. There's a big difference. There are times where all of us can be immature. There are times where all of us make poor decisions. There are times where all of us are hungry. I saw this meme the other day and somebody said, uh, I'm hungry. What that means is in 20 minutes, I'm going to become a totally different person. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So we all can slide in. Those things are not necessarily sinful in, of the, in and of themselves. That just means that, hey, sometimes somebody can make a mistake. Somebody, somebody may mis- misspeak. Somebody can do whatever, whatever that they didn't mean to do. Okay? And so to always go to this binary, you're in sin and I'm righteous. And I would also encourage you, hey, if, 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 if you find something offensive... Dig, dig beneath the surface, surface and ask why. Why do you find this offensive? Why is this offensive to you? Why does it bug you? Why is it? And is it, is it because of your weakness and your fear? Is it because somebody legitimately crossed the line? So I'll bring it full circle to this whole Chandler Moore thing. I went back. I talked to my wife about it yesterday. Uh, I, I went to his Instagram and uh, he, he and I looked at all the posts and he had four out of the five posts on his Instagram were about marriage, were about uh, how excited he was, how God was in a marriage, all these different things. And out of out of about, I don't know, a dozen photos, many of them weeping, many of them crying, many of them on his face, many of them praying. Out of a dozen photos surrounding his wedding, there was one photo that some of us would deem inappropriate or at the very least would say, well, maybe it wasn't the wisest thing for him to post that, for him to post that. Okay, it's a fair argument. Does the fact that it was packaged in between multiple posts and that you have to really go out of your way to find the offensive one, and was that worth it? To then do, if somebody does something dumb, it was is is going out of your way to responding and be outraged about it equally as dumb, right? Just like legitimate questions, and so if we see things like sex and sexuality affirmed in Scripture, but we're projecting our own God, this is God or this is gross paradigm on it because of the iniquity in our hearts. Because I'll tell you what, everybody I showed that photo to chuckled, laughed, and didn't find anything wrong with it. Showed it to my wife, showed it to my trainer, showed it to my best friend, Daniel, right? You might find something wrong with it. Respect. Respect. Is it is it to the degree where you think he is in sin or is it, ah, uh, he's 26, 
He did. He didn't show the most discernment. He didn't. Sh- he didn't show the most amount of reverence for his platform, for for the position that God has him in. Okay, that's different. I'll give you an example. When I was twenty, uh, when I when I was twenty one, twenty two, and I was about to get married. I was very excited about getting married. I was so excited about getting married that I kept telling people, people would ask, oh, so you guys are getting married. Uh, you guys are getting married. I was, I was 23 when I got married. So like this entire year leading up to it, people say, so you guys are getting married. And I would say stuff like, yeah, get married and have sex. <laughs> I thought, that's what I kept saying, get married and have sex. And in hindsight, I look back at that and I go, gosh, that was really stupid of me. That was really silly of me to say that. Because that's all I thought, get, get married get, get married, have sex. And, and people like, and people just laughed at. It. I was like, "You're you're a dummy. Like you're you're silly, Ruslan. You are a dummy for saying this." Okay. And so, are there things that you could just laugh at, keep scrolling, push push through, or do we have to stop and be outraged at every single little thing under the sun, especially the things that Scripture affirms? That 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 is where I'm at with that. Okay, that is where I'm at with that. I think if anybody looks at that entire pat, at all the posts and context of everything he posted around his wedding, and you are this, that outraged about this one post that you 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 cropped out, well then, hey man, respect. But to equate that to they're in sin, I think I think it's preposterous to equate that. Well, they've lost their view of holiness. I think it's preposterous. Their wedding is a testament to them living a holy, set apart life of for God. That is literally what the point of them getting married was. That is what the ceremony was. Everybody that was at the ceremony said the gospel was preached and people prayed and the Holy Spirit was there and the whole thing. So if in the context of everything that's happening, there's one photo that may be a little immature. Is it worth you, follower of Jesus, going out of your way and being outraged about it? Could your time be spent doing something else? Like, oh, I don't know, maybe praying for them, maybe searching for the sin in your own heart, maybe seeing if there's a plank in your own eye. I, I mean, I'm, I'm asking legitimate questions here. I think we're, we're so quick to take everything to, to, to the degree of this person's in sin and this person, da, 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 da. But have you examined everything and just gave us some honest thought? So those are my thoughts on this thing. Um, I, th- I think, I think we, we say we're against cancel culture. We say we're against cancel culture until it's something we want canceled. We say we're against cancel culture until somebody violates something that we hold near and there. And, th- and then it's not... It's like, whatever. You know what I mean? So, those are my thoughts on it. Kingstream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Hey, thank you so much for making it till the end of this video. If you found it valuable, please consider giving it a like and subscribing. You can check out one of the other videos related to this that'll be over here. Now, I got to tell you about a free training I have for anyone that is an entrepreneur, a creative, an artist, but maybe you are unsure on how to find your voice, how to find your niche. I have a free training in the description of this video. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much for watching. I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next video. Holy smokes, you made it through the entire episode Shout out to you. Probably means you're rocking with what we're doing. And again, we ain't got no sponsors on this show, and I'm going to keep it that way. But what you can do to keep it sponsor-free is consider signing up for our King's Dream Patreon. The link is in the description of this episode. Best way to get a hold of me, best way to hop into a group Zoom call, and the best way to partner with what we're doing here. Help us create more stuff just like this. Thank you for listening. Peace.